Welcome to Masala History. I'm Manami Guha and with me today is Deepthi Murli and we are going to be talking about Latin's Delhi. La- what is Latin's Delhi? It was the last planned imperial city in the world and the first modern city planned in colonial India, spanning 26 square kilometers, dotted by over 1000 bungalows, which is also home to India's most powerful people, the president, prime minister, cabinet ministers and bureaucrats deepthi in fact visited new delhi for the first time last year shocker as an art historian in the making deepthi what were your first impressions of latin's delhi hi everyone um glad to join you back on the masala history podcast um my first impression of delhi and it it is embarrassingly the case that i have uh, visited new delhi for the first time in in my life um, uh, well into my old age last year um and i was i had seen it many times in pictures right. and on republic day parades and i expected it to be somehow larger okay um for some reason like you know i expected uh what was originally called the kingsway now it's called the rajpath to be extremely long okay more spread out yeah yeah i i thought it was mu- it was going to be much longer but it's actually a manageable stretch where you can actually walk from one end uh, to the other the, yes and so that kind of changed the way it it made uh latin's delhi more approachable somehow it became more friendly for me instead of thinking of it as this imposing grandiose capital. structure yeah. right it became more personable right something that you know you can actually see in the human scale and that was not something i was expecting mm mm-hmm. so yeah i did really like it and there is this quiet sort of dignity about it that you know um, I, i the the color combinations are nice it's the green and the sort of the pale sort of sunsetty sandstone kind of yeah right yeah the you know that combination and you know it's very sparse so it's very quiet and and very obviously as it was meant to be and which we will discuss in more detail in the course of this podcast mm-hmm. it was meant to be that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and so i did really enjoy um that and especially because you know it it is in stark contrast to humayun's tomb or any of these other monuments right. you know that see all around almost littered all over delhi. delhi right yeah it's all over delhi and in the middle of it is something quite different so i really enjoyed um visiting the capital mm-hmm. um which leads to uh, sort of we need to talk a little bit about why was this great uh, uh, city created and mm-hmm. why was the architecture so starkly different yet familiar or mm-hmm. meant to be familiar to indians mm-hmm. the connection between uh, imperialism and architecture have been um, explored um, by the great historian uh, thomas metcalf in his work an imperial vision Indian architecture in Britain's Raj, where he um, beautifully explores the relationship between power, architecture, and imperialism, and he takes the example of uh, New Delhi as this space which which is supposed to show people the might of the empire. So 
Uh, in many ways, uh, what Metcalf does in this book, as well as, you know, we will try to do in this podcast by uh, using Metcalf as an inspiration, is to, is to sort of expand on why was it important for British uh, to create a new imperial city, a new capital in, in the early 20th century? Why was it important for them to uh, make the city both a part of India, but also very representative of British Empire. And that's what uh, we will be exploring in this podcast. So obviously, the creation of Latin's Delhi does not happen in isolation. They just didn't wake up one morning and said, okay, you know, we've we've had the capital in Calcutta for over 150 years. We don't like this city anymore. Let's move to Delhi, right? There are obviously certain historical incidents that precede the move to Delhi. So one of those big historical events, moments in Indian history that was thanks to the British was the partition of Bengal in 1905, right? That they separated, that they suddenly, Lord Curzon, who says, okay, Bengal, Bihar, Orissa, Assam, too big, excuse me, too big a region. We need to divide this region up. So he partitions Bengal and as it just happens coincidentally, it just happened to separate the Muslim Bengalis versus the Hindu Bengalis. Um, yeah. So in a way, right, so in a way that that chasm is created between the Hindus and the, Bengal, uh, Hindus and the Muslims, that continues later. So the first thing that happens is the partition of Bengal. It was supposed to disband the growing power of the educated Bengali classes. Um, both Hindus and Muslims agitated against it, and the educated Bengali classes were obviously were English educated, were were in a way used to and were introduced to certain liberal forms of government that Britain had back home, and they were asking for something similar for themselves. Um, so, I mean, as I said, Calcutta had been the enclave for British commerce. It was a symbol of Britain's foreign presence in India for over 150 years. Now, in contrast to that, you have New Delhi that came to represent a new British India, where Britain wanted to position it herself as as an integral part to India's political and material development moving ahead. Right. Right. I mean, because it, this is already we are talking 1911, you know, independence comes to us like literally 30 years later. So, OK, so there is a huge anti-British sentiment that develops after the partition of Bengal. Yeah. And and so and so, you know, the move to Delhi happens around the same around literally less than 10 years after the formal partition of Bengal has happened. So there are three reasons, there are three key reasons why they decided to move the capital to Delhi so soon after the partition of Bengal. First, it was seen as a public relations move by the British. It was seen as what um, uh, John Jenkins, one of Harding, who comes to, who becomes the later governor general, for him, he saw it as a bold stroke of statesmanship, which would give universal satisfaction and mark a new era in the history of India. The move was also supposed to come at the same time and was closely associated with the reversal of partition. 
thereby trying to thereby the british themselves trying to delegitimize partition right so they said okay we'll move the capital to delhi we will try and reverse partition but it was too late to try and reverse partition right they couldn't suddenly move people back to where they were earlier mm-hmm. and more most importantly at least for me the removal of the capital from calcutta to delhi was done so that it would remove the spotlight from the political influence the anti-colonial agitators could exercise over the rest of India. Because partition had happened in Bengal. Most of the agitation, anti-colonial movements were happening in Bengal, right? So if they decide to have this whole opulence of the Darbar and everything, which we will talk about, which then leads to the formally the capital shifting to Delhi, it takes the entire attention, most of the attention away from the agitators who are still complaining about the partition of Bengal, right? So then the move to Delhi seems, for them, it would almost seem like a seamless transition, but it was anything but seamless, right? Right. Uh, you mentioned the Imperial Darbar. So mm-hmm. do you want to give like a little bit of background of Britain, British, uh, the British relationship to Delhi prior to this move, move of the capital? So, I mean, I think and, you know, you are, I mean, I'm more of a historian. I would like to think a historian of British India. But, you know, I think in a way what Britain was trying to do was trying to find its space as a legitimate ruler of India Mm -hmm. after the Mughals because the Mughals had ruled for over three centuries and for them Mm -hmm. Delhi was their capital right that was the epicenter that was the nerve center and and the Mughals had legitimacy I mean they ruled for over three centuries right so for Britain before the Mughals Delhi was also the capital of the Sultanate and you know there is a huge history of Delhi being the epicenter of different empires right including the Guptas right Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for Britain, it for the British, it became important to not to suddenly continue the legacy and add its name to the preceding line of rulers that had already ruled over India before that to kind of say, okay, we may leave in another 30 years, but our legacy continues. And I think, and I, 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 you know, you would agree with this is one of their lasting legacies was Latians Delhi. You cannot not look at Latians Delhi and think about the fact that it was the British who created this and the British who made this. And we will talk about the colonial history, right? And we'll talk about the colonial background to it. And we'll go a little bit more into details about it. But I mean, I was thinking, should we talk a little bit about the um, new plan and what that was? The decision to transfer the capital to New Delhi from Calcutta is announced December 1911. It's quite spontaneous um, as far as, like, you know, bureaucratic decisions are, con- are concerned. Um, Lutian's plan for the city was actually made, and we should probably introduce Edward Lancia Lutins. That's his full name. Mm. And he is the principal architect of the city, and which is why Lutins Delhi is called Lutins Delhi. It was not just... Um, Lutins who worked on mm-hmm. the capital. There were as much as collaborative efforts. There were multiple people in, involved in it, including um, his uh, uh, closest collaborator being Herbert Baker, another architect. Um, uh, there was Swinton, who we'll talk about in a little bit, who was a town planner. There were other people involved. But it was Lutins' city plan that was uh, taken as the final plan for Delhi. And this was made in 1911 
June. So, you know, they um, make the CISA plan in June. In December 1911, they announce it. And then by 1912, they're already in India planning the city. So it happened very quickly. Very quickly. Like, you know, there was was hardly a pause, if you think about, like, you know, the larger bureaucratic system that the British Empire was. Like, Mm -hmm. this was a very um, swift sort of move. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, led by uh, the Governor General um, Harding. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the work went on for uh, close to 20 years mm-hmm. and the official completion date of the city was 1931. Mm-hmm. So from 1911 to 1931. So it was a very uh, long process of constructing this imperial capital. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan of uh, making New Delhi was really uh, left to three people. There was um, Edward Lutin, mm-hmm. um who was the architect in uh, charge of uh, looking at designs and the general um, sort of layout of where the buildings would be placed, what the landscape would look like. Right. Um, there was also um, uh, a man named Brony, who was um, the sanitation engineer, who was supposed to um, check the site's health requirements, for instance, like if the site was fit uh, in terms of drainage, was it malaria infested, you know, that sort of details. Mm -hmm. And then there was a town planner who happened to be this man named George Swinton. Um, He was the aide-de-camp for a previous uh, governor general and was a very powerful uh, political interlocutor in Britain in this period. He was not a town planner at all. Oh. Um, he, he was a political appointee. He was oh, wow. Appointed, uh, yeah, because he had no town planning experience. But he was chosen, actually he was chosen over the professor of design at Liverpool. Really? For position. Wow. Yes, like one of the, this, this person who had actually Written the treatise on civic design, he, he was the one who had to move away for Swinton to become the town planner because um, the uh, Swinton was uh, not a provincial, quote unquote, and mm. uh, he, uh, was a man about town. He's from London. He has the right contacts. Right. Um, so these were the three people who finally came to India and were responsible to uh, find this, an ideal site for the city to be planned in, mm-hmm. and. Um, there were a lot of issues. There were a lot of debates regarding these plans. Right. The principle being, uh, there was already an existing settlement in a Europe, a British settlement in Delhi, um, which was the civil line. Right. And um, and a lot of people in in England wanted city to be sort of uh, in the civil lines area, sort of expanding um, that area out to make uh, this this very British. Hmm. Uh, whereas uh, Governor General Hardinge wanted something entirely different. Mm-hmm. So his idea was to establish something uh, completely new, uh, something very different from civil lines for multiple reasons mm-hmm. uh, that we'll talk about in a minute. But in terms of making this new plan, these three men were carrying out what the Governor General really wanted. Right, And so... In, in New Delhi, they saw a new beginning, as you sort of mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. for the imperial dream to keep British India as part of the empire. Right. Um, this was the time, you know, they're talking about a dominion status for India, just like mm. 
Canada, South Africa, and Australia have already gotten mm-hmm. at this point. So they, they, there is a move towards uh, towards finding or fighting a capital that looks towards a new imperial dream than mm-hmm. sort of regurgitating what happened in the past. Right. So, uh, so along with that, the. The, the, the really the debate was also about there was this debate on the site mm-hmm. then there was a debate about the style of architecture right. um, they there were different sort of sections arguing for the merits of different kinds of design mm-hmm. and uh, George Five who was the king he wanted uh, an Indian design like a Mughal style design okay wow. um, but, yeah yeah uh, that's what he wanted right. uh, there were another group who said no we want this uh, British design because uh, anything Indian would it would make it seem like a weakness. It would mean that we are scared of our own heritage. Oh, or we are scared of going British pride. Yeah, right. So there oh. were a group of people who said we will just do uh, a British architecture, mm-hmm. and and then Lachlan sort of comes in and says, let's do a compromise, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually uses this fantastic quote mm-hmm. where he says, we can't do buildings like. Um, like an Englishman dressed in English attire on Indian soil. You know, th- that doesn't fit. You need to still be an English, the building still needs to be an Englishman, but dressed for the climate. And that's what we need to make this building. That is English. so interesting, that quote. <laughs> yeah. So, so Lapin's is coming in with the saying, we are going to make something essentially British, mm-hmm. but we are going to make it relatable to the Indians too, because, you know, we are having this larger political conversation using mm-hmm. these, um, the, the, the city. Mm-hmm. And so we will bring the Indians, but we are going to still be resolutely British mm-hmm. in, in what we put out mm-hmm. uh, in the city. So ultimately, uh, they did not select the civil lines uh, site, which was the the original European or the British settlement in Delhi, uh, for two main reasons. One was sanitation. Uh, there were, there were, it was sort of closer to the areas of Delhi, which was malaria infested. Um, the and then the drainage was poor, and then there was little room to actually expand. So uh, those were real issues. But along with that, um, this site was where. The, when the revolt of um, 1857 happens, mm-hmm. a lot of violence uh, between uh, the British and the Indians who revolted mm-hmm. happens near the civil lines. So especially around the Delhi Ridge area. Wow. So, for example, there are these uh, the, there's the Flagstaff Tower in Delhi right. where uh, where the the Indian soldiers who revolted, the Sepoys who revolted, would come and uh, try to kill. Uh, the men, women, and children—the British men and women and children—who were um, hiding there. Right. So that's a stark reminder for the British of uh, not just the violence of the Indian um, soldiers who mm-hmm. revolted, but mm-hmm. also of their own sort of weakness. Uh, being in a foreign country and being a minority in a foreign country, a ruling minority in a foreign country. Right. Uh, that Delhi Ridge was also the place where they had the memorial that they built in 1863 uh, to commemorate. 1857. Yeah, the revolt. And so uh, it was was also a space for public memory, public British memory in India. So the the civil lines in the uh, neighboring area were a place of memory for the British, um, of uh, collective public memory, a place with emotional attachment. Mm -hmm. But it was 
memory that they did not want to be reminded of. They did not also want the Indians to be reminded of. Right. Because the whole point is to get away from the history of violence uh, committed by the empire mm-hmm. or committed because of the empire in India. Mm-hmm. And this was going to be a stark reminder if they put the news imperial city mm. in the same surroundings where the revolt of 1857 happened. Right. So, okay. So, I mean, it's really interesting that 1857 becomes such a watershed mark, right? Every, I mean, yeah. we know the mutiny yeah. of 1857. We know what happened. You know, we, for the most part, you know, the historians can agree to disagree on what started it, how it ended and all of that, right? But 1857 becomes one of those watershed marks because it ends the rule of the East India Company and India officially becomes a a sovereign under Victoria's rule, Queen Victoria's rule, right? So if that can be seen as one watershed mark, I think the, in a way, you know, and you are more of a, you know, you are more of an expert on the history of princely states than I am. (laughs) Well, you are more than I am, is, you know, the Imperial Darbar of 1911 is again, you know, the reign of Queen Victoria, the long reign of Queen Victoria has come to an end. George V has come to the throne. And one of the first things he does is he comes to India and he has this Darbar in Delhi in 1911, where I believe... The first British emperor, the first British emperor to actually step on Indian soil. Right. Can you imagine? Because Queen Victoria never did it. And Edward didn't come. Right. And he comes and he comes and he hobnobs and he meets all these princes, right? Who, as far as opulence is concerned, money is concerned, probably had a lot more than Emperor George V did. But it was, I think, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a moment of where you see this change in the, and this is, this is interesting because this happens in the beginning of the 20th century, that the characteristic feature of British rule in India undergoes a remarkable transformation up until queen victoria's rule it was about it was about the minority like you said this ruling minority ruling over this huge indian subject population and ruling with there's discipline there are there are policies there are laws but there is benevolence on the part of the british but only when it is convenient it is not something that is a characteristic feature of their rule but I think with the coming of George V and holding his Delhi Darbar and meeting these Indian kings on the same footing as himself I think gives the British rule more of a benevolent character because they also realize they are starting to lose the support of the Indian subjects by and by because there is only so many times that you can delude them into believing that they need British rule. So I think it's not just, you know, the Darbar that was important, but it is also some of the reforms that they were passing at this time, right? So you have the Indian Councils Act of 1909, which is better known as the Molly Minto reforms, which is passed in 1909, which started to allow Indians for the first time to stand for legislative council positions. Right? That's a big right. deal because this is the first time Indians are given a say right. in their own 
country to rule themselves. Exactly. I mean, the Indian National Congress had already been around for about 20 years by this point. But mm-hmm. this is the first time that Britain is acknowledging that, yes, this is your country. India is your country. You're born in this country. So, yes, you have a right to actually make legislative decisions that affect your country and affects you. So the Molimento reform. So if you look at it, you know, 1905 happens, Bengal partition, 1909, Molimento reforms, 1911, George V comes. And like you said earlier, 1911 onwards, the creation of Latians Delhi happened. It's almost interesting how all of these events start to happen one after the other. All Exactly, all within a decade. So trying to give the impression that we are not just about a despotic rule. We are more about collaboration. We are more about cooperating with you, wanting to know what you want to do. So it's almost like a paternalistic character of rule. But it's also interesting that not everyone came out in support of this. Right. So Lord Harding is the next governor general that comes in, brings the king, starts to make these PR moves. But his predecessor, Lord Curzon, is the one who carried out the partition of Bengal. And as far as he was concerned, and, and, as, and as, an, as an absolute Anglophile, he sees this as the British taking a step back. So you can almost think of Lord Curzon being more of a Victorian governor general and Lord Harding being of a more liberal governor general, right? And to use his words, he had said, and this is where he's being critical of Lord Harding and and his council, that the rulers were, and I quote, he says, losing the momentum to reap the benefits of partition at a time when this action was almost vindicated. The Latins Delhi kind of represents and you know like how that wonderful quote that you use by Latin right that it has to be collaboration you know it has to be about a British man but not a British man who's living in Britain about a British man living in India right so there is this dichotomy there and I think Latins Delhi kind of represents a dichotomy and a combination in a very weird way of both Curzon's old guard, old way of ruling over India and the reform, the reforming character of Harding's uh, rule. It symbolized both colonial coercion on the one hand, but it is also about consent because they need Indian support to continue rule, right? And I think Latin's Delhi is is uh, is a combination is a syncretism of both of these powers to be com- kind of coming together very uh, dich- as you said dichotomous mm-hmm. conditions right you mm-hmm. can't you can't be a benevolent dictator you know right it is you can't do that right. you know, the, the, but but the architecture and the planning of the city kind of responds and reflects this this dichotomy right so uh, uh, when Herbert Dayton first came to India, along with Ed, Edwin uh, Luffy, hmm. to, uh, to to design the city, um, Baker called it the Grand Quest, okay. um, or the Great Quest. Like you know that that this is what they were meant to do. So right. they've come here fully prepped and armed right. to do this 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 creation of what will be like the most impressive of capitals uh-huh. in the world uh-huh. right they they come here with, with with completely with the intention of doing that right um in new delhi right um 
they also come in with these uh, these very utopian ideas, like mm-hmm. you know what you said about um, making a, a capital that is both uh, British but also for Indians. Yeah. But really, in execution, that's not what happens. When you actually see it being executed, mm-hmm. um, it it is it's just a reflection of the imperial powers. Right. Um, just just to start with, um, Edwin Latin's. <laughs> sort of um, says he actually says um, he can use Indian motifs you know um, the the kind of little decorative motifs that you see in Indian architecture both Hindu and Islamic right. but they have to be subservient to the colonial order to the oh, colonial wow. classical order like the, the new classical order wow. so um, he's saying we give the we give the architecture its solidity and stability Right. And then, quote unquote, within reason, right. you can use Indian motifs. Oh, so that is if if that is not so <laughs> cherry picking, basically. Yeah, you cherry pick, but okay. also whatever Indian is being used in the architecture, mm-hmm. it is subservient to the to the higher superior British colonial right. classical architecture, right? right? right. So it's very. Uh, it's very symbolic, like you know, Delhi's architecture, Britain's Delhi's architecture is very symbolic of what the British rule is. And ultimately, when they come with, with this idea of benevolent rule mm-hmm. of uh, you know providing Indians with the capacity to rule themselves, which is also very racist, saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, you guys, you didn't develop as well as we did, <laughs> right. so you know we're going to teach you to develop a little bit more, right. and then we let you have your freedom." Right. Um, in fact. Um, Herbert Baker outside the Secretariat buildings, which he designed, mm-hmm. there was actually a uh, something like a, a, a board which said freedom does not, uh, freedom is not given; it has to be earned. He literally had that quote wow. outside the Secretariat building. Right. So, and boy, did the Indians earn their freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, and 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 take the capital along with them. But like the the while there is this utopian ideal of what the city is supposed to be, right. it is really reflective of uh, British colonialism in India right. and and the idea of empire. The concept itself for the city comes from the idea of the garden city, which was a very popular mode of city design in post-industrial revolution Europe and US. Mm-hmm. Um, it was meant to be a place where you could enjoy the greens. And you're in the city. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of uh, American cities are designed uh, using the garden city concept. Right. And so uh, for Lutin, it was very important that he made these, design these buildings. Mm-hmm. But then he also has uh, vistas. So, you know, he wants like these beautiful green spaces. He wants to make this pictorial aspect, like, you know, the building sort of, you know, standing in the middle of gardens or right. like, you know, um, yeah. Uh, sorry, I just had a question because you also see a lot of this uh, concept of gardens and open landscapes with the Mughals as well, right? So, right. so is that also something that you think might have inspired uh, Latians? The it, how it did actually, uh, it actually did. So, oh. uh, Lady Hardinge, uh, Governor General Hardinge's wife, mm-hmm. actually um, um, loves the idea of the Mughal garden. She actually writes to Latians mm-hmm. before she starts. Uh, designing mm-hmm. and quote this is her words um, I should love a Mughal garden with terraces start from the very top of the ridge and she's talking Delhi ridge okay. and come to the house 
talking about the Viceroy's house, the yeah. current Rashtrapati Bhavan. Mm-hmm. I have seen less good, but the same style in Persia. Water running down the center with small falls from terrace to terrace, lovely stonework and steps, lots of fountains, and of course, flowers. I have asked for them all to be carefully photographed for your edification. Ooh. I can only tell you it was a dream of loveliness. <laughs> End quote. So, Lady Hardy comes with this idea that, you know, she wants this lovely Mughal garden, which she gets. So, if you look at the construction, Mm -hmm. there is the Memorial Arch, which is one of the principal architectural forms of Lakin City. Then there's the King's Way, which is our current day Rajput, which is tree lines, both like, you know, they have water bodies that line the street with like these beautiful um, trees on either side Mm -hmm. um, that by the way, they were supposed to be selected for their uh, large size, but the trees didn't really grow, so it was a fail. <laughs> the <laughs> Delhi summer didn't suit them, probably. No, 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 a lot of mini trees died. Um, there's a funny incident about the trees, which we'll get to in a minute. Okay. <laughs> so you walk down the King's Way, and then, you know, looming up above, you have uh, the the... Viceroy's house, right. um, and on on the along the Kingsway, you'll have the government buildings, the mm. secretariat buildings mm. uh, that that's out there today. Mm. So, and and from the Viceroy's house, the idea was you'll have the Delhi Bridge to look out into, mm-hmm. and you'll have the grand sort of green vistas to mm. look out, and it will be beautified. Except when they were building the city, mm-hmm. Delhi Bridge was deforested. There were no trees there, oh, and no. uh, there were cows and cattle grazing, right. and they had to literally go in and make a forest there. So all that you see, Mehroli Park, mm-hmm. and all the other sort of green trees that you see in the Delhi Bridge currently, right. they are from 20th century, oh. when um, Lakins hired uh, a man named Masto, mm-hmm. who works in Lafford, mm-hmm. to come as a horticulturist mm-hmm. and essentially design a forest. Wow. Um, in, in in the Delhi Ridge, so that they will have those views. Oh. So, this is a very elaborate project. The yes. reason it took 20 years is because, you know, they on the one side, they're making a forest, they're building roads and networks and irrigation systems and canals and all these uh, uh, these things that go into making a big imperial city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, into that, they also want to create this pictorial aspect. So right. the idea was, in the architecture, there would be solidity and stability. Okay. There is this idea of, as uh, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, the buildings look like, you know, they're standing in attention, eyes ahead. Oh my and goodness. Ready to you know, so it's it's almost symbolic of the, of the, you know, the quintessential yeah. British soldier. Yes. Right. All of Britishness, right? Right. So it, is, it is very... Uh, very much like you know, supposed to be that British sort of uh, how we understand Britishness, right? Right, right. And 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 but then from there you have this pictorial aspect. On the back of the Viceroy's house, you have the Mughal Gardens all the way up to the Delhi Ridge, mm-hmm. and then from the Delhi Ridge you have this mass of forest, wow. and it's all created to beautify the city and all man-made, right? So, um, so, yeah, it is all man-made, and I didn't know this. Um, I had noticed the trees uh, when I was in Delhi, mm-hmm. but then the, the trees that they use, if you look carefully at the trees in Nairoli Park or any of the Delhi Ridge, most of them are this, uh, this, this sort of stubby trees with, like, you know, these little leaves, 
uh, it's a tree called the Mexican Morn. Hmm. And Musto actually selected that particular tree because it is the most drought-resistant tree in the world. It's a, it's a, a, a Latin American tree. Okay. And so he used that tree mm-hmm. so that it only very little water mm-hmm. and it, it could withstand the desert winds. Right. And it, and it would live and prosper and so it did. It like, is. You know, it is... It is an invasive species, so it's now all over Delhi, and you see it everywhere, right? <laughs> that is so, fascinating. Yeah, they they spend a lot of time planning this and giving it thought. You know, there is countless amount of info, uh, you know, essays and you know do- documents out there talking about what flowers will go into the garden, what trees they will use, right. why those trees are used. So there's a variety of trees that are used. So if you look at uh, uh, the Parliament Street, the trees are different from mm-hmm. Church Street because they're meant to be they're meant to be different trees. Oh, uh, and uh, they tried planting different ones. The ones that were really successful, and the ones that you see currently, which are these original trees, right. are the fig, the tamarind, right. and the what's called the South African sausage tree, and something <sighs> else. Right. Yeah. So, it, so the trees have an international character. They come from South yeah. Africa and Latin yeah. America, right? And there's a fascinating sort of ecological imperialism angle to this that, you know, we should explore in a later podcast. Like, right. You know, it's fascinating. There's, there's a whole bunch of environmental history right. that goes alongside uh, this topic. Yeah. Uh, but there were some trees that didn't fit in, like, you know, the mango trees wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't grow because every fruiting season people would come and vandalize it. <laughs> right. So they had to upon the mango tree. Right, because we love our mangoes. Yeah, you know. That's right. Just, yeah. You can't have a mango tree on a public street. Like, you know, no. The British just did. <laughs> so the mango trees went. Right. And then there were some other trees, I can't remember which ones, but they couldn't stand the desert winds. Oh. So they, they they fell apart. But the And there was a lot of thought given to this process, even the kind of trees that went into the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Latins was in charge of most of this. Okay. Now, there are uh, critics of mm-hmm. Latins and mm-hmm. of this general idea that Latins design Delhi mm-hmm. and they're right to some extent. There's an um, interesting um, essay that came out on Outlook maybe a few years back about mm-hmm. how there are different kind of people. And it's true. And I will give a link. We, we can give a link to it at the, uh, in, in our show notes to mm-hmm. this article. The, it is right. The, uh, there are a lot of people, but Latins was one of the principal uh, men who... Um, Design. design, yeah, design the city. So I'm just going to give a brief sort of glimpse into who this man was who designed the capital of India for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, was born in 1869. Um, he died in 1944. So just shy of seeing India gain independence. Mm-hmm. I would have liked very much to know that New Delhi Indian capital because he would have he probably rolled in his grave uh, so, so, so this was a man who had never come to India but he was extremely famous as an architect um, oh. in, in, in England at the time mm-hmm. um, he uh, came um, he was he, he's extremely celebrated he was knighted in 1918 he was the member of the Royal Academy mm. he was the recipient of the Royal Gold Medal for Architecture in Britain and the Gold Medal from the American Institute of Architects oh wow um, so he was recognized yeah across the world right um, his style was um, used to be sort of vernacular English because he used to make a lot of these really big mansions for the Baroness ba- Baron and the Baroness in the countryside like castles then, kind of thing 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, but then it became towards the uh, towards the twentieth century, it became more classicist. Mm-hmm. The that you see in Delhi, mm-hmm. and then particularly um, what was called Palladian classicism. But I'm not going to go into that and bore people with architectural terms. So prior to uh, the kind of architecture that Latins uh, designed uh, in, in New Delhi, uh, British architecture in India was largely what was called Indo-Saracenic. Okay. Um, you know, uh, a good example would be, uh, you know, two kinds. The Lakshmi Vilas Palace, uh, which was sort of Indian but had European elements, mm-hmm. or the Victoria or the Chhatrapati Shivaji um, terminus mm-hmm. in Bombay, which mm-hmm. was um, Victorian Gothic, but made for India. Right. Latin just absolutely hated the idea. He said to build in the Indo-Saracenic way was to parade a building in funny dress, like in a costume ball. Oh my God! Um, instead, he said, instead he wanted to build uh, in the British way, but for the climate. Right. And um, and if you think about it, mm-hmm. like you know what Latin is saying is that you know the. The Indian architecture, uh, and he said this, like Indian music is great, but, you know, the British enjoy Indian music because the rhythm is weird and it, only the Indians can understand their weird rhythm. Wow. So it is a same, yeah, if you can smell the cigar smoke, right. the oak panel, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't be very far from the truth. Mm-hmm. This is a very Victorian sort of conservative um, outlook mm-hmm. uh, towards um, towards the colony. And uh, so uh, for all the sort of utopian idea of, or the, even the paternalistic attitude, like, you know, they definitely are making a capital for their empire. Right. Um, and how they did it, like, you know, the idea was to convey um, stability and solidity in architecture. So mm-hmm. they basically made the buildings horizontal. So if you look at them, they're more wide than they're tall if you look at them right. from a distance. Right. Because uh, the horizontality actually makes, uh, and they they make it monochromatic. So, mm-hmm. you know, that horizontality is expressed uh, in, in, in the colors and the tones uh, that are used in the building. Mm-hmm. The long chajas, you know, that sort of add to the horizontality. Right. And the idea was they would take this idea of the cube. Okay. And they would sculpt the cube. Okay. And and that would give it the stability and the symmetry that is uh, that is wanted, that is ideal in the Western um, actual um style in the classical style mm-hmm. um, rather than go for the pyramidity like you know if you see Hindu and Islamic architecture they're more like pyramids right? Right. so they don't want that pyramidal form they want square and mm-hmm. so um, they also wanted to they also did a lot of climatic controls you know long um, chajas to keep the light uh, and heat out um, they wanted to centralize the structure so they had this dome on top Right. Um, this interesting detail that I did not know mm-hmm. uh, before mm-hmm. of this building was that you know the dome has these four smaller uh, sort of um, uh, I won't say hemispherical smaller dom domulets okay. on the the sides. Okay. okay, and they actually, if you look closely, you can see them on the structure. They have this hemispherical inverted hemispherical from a copper saucer on top. Oh. That looks like, you know, like on Buddhist stupas, you have that um, pinnacle, right. it looks like that. Right. Originally, what, it is a water fountain, and water used to come out of that and drip into the courts below. So you, the, the building had water coming out from the top, from saucer, and sort of 
pouring out wow. the four corners. Yeah. And then they quickly stopped it because they were like, we can't do this in a in a drought-ridden, perpetually drought-ridden country. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. We care for Indians and then, you know, waste water like this right. coming out of the rooftop of the first house. So they, they, it is not, it, it almost shut down immediately. Okay, um, thank God. It was interesting to see that, you know, even... In these things, the, while the British was preaching about like a benevolent rule, you know, trying to rule of cooperation, right? They are still not really thinking about Indians, for mm. if they were, mm. Latins wouldn't put copper sauce fountains on top of <laughs> right, the right, building. Right. <laughs> so, so the essential dichotomy between uh, benevolence and imperialism really, really is seen in Delhi's architecture, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's and it's kind of funny because um, more than being uh, the capital of British India, mm-hmm. it it was finished in 1931. Mm-hmm. In less than 20 years, it was the capital of the newly independent India. Right. So. So it's fascinating that what was made to be um, a sign for um, British imperial might mm-hmm. actually becomes opposite. Right, right, right. It's something that the Indian government then appropriates for itself and then it becomes the symbol for Indian democracy. Right. You still have, I mean, you know, the Republic Day Parade. It goes through the entire stretch of Rajpath. Right. And, you know, you see that you see the you see the buildings on both sides like you, you know, you've described so beautifully. And as an Indian, it gives you a sense of pride to think that, yes, this is this is the symbol of power in my country. Whether it's the right power or the wrong power is a different debate. But it is it is still the symbol of power. So so then the question is, like, you know, would you consider Latin's sort of vision for Delhi as a successful vision? Um, What do you think? I think I think what happens with Latians Delhi once Latians Delhi is created and the power shifts there I think for Indians all over I it's a, it's a simultaneous movement where Indians are starting to see themselves as part of one nation as one nation one identity is we are Indians and I think it becomes easier for them rather than to see British uh, you know British rule kind of fragmented over three presidencies to kind of Mm -hmm. see it consolidate in Delhi. So it becomes easier for them to see Britain, British in Delhi ruling as a more cohesive unit to kind of have agitations and anti-colonial movements directed towards. In fact, it worked the opposite way. It gave Indians something to, you know, point their fingers at so easily. Exactly. It was not not like a regional thing anymore. It was like a national federal government that they can say you are for them right we want you out so yeah then i mean it's also ironic because you know for it it was successful in the sense that you know Mm -hmm. today as you said it's a seat of power it instills this quiet sort of the architecture mm-hmm. instills the quiet confidence mm-hmm. um, in in the government, in the mm-hmm. facilities of mm-hmm. the government. Right? Uh, it is meant to show stability and solidity, which it does. So, what Latin set out to do, right. you know, he did. You right. know, what the India Council, headed by Swinton and 
and Lutyens and, you know, Herbert Baker and all the other people who worked on the project mm-hmm. set out to do they didn't this great little city yeah. which gave this message of solidity, stability, and power, mm-hmm. except they didn't do it for the empire. No. They did it for a, a, a country that was not an Indians, uh, you know, at, at that point. Yeah. They did it for for um, Indians. Yeah. And so that is quite ironic, and which is why I said Indians is probably turning in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what happened. Right. His beloved great quest uh, <laughs> that was taken over by the yeah, by by Indians for India. Right. We need to sort of wrap up and. I want to actually say that there's one thing that the uh, that one, uh, a British man suggested that I wish had happened. Okay. Um, this was, I think, a man named Josh Mullen, um, mm-hmm. who was a uh, who was an important person in England. Okay. Um, whose who his initial idea was to make the architecture out of steel and glass, so that um, yeah, to make the architecture out of steel and glass, so that pe- the people who work for the country, uh-huh. uh, you know, can be seen doing that work. Can be so displayed? They, yeah. Actually, right. they are working, they are servants of the countrymen. Wow. So, you know, their work should be seen. The government service, servants working should be seen by the citizens of the country. Right. And I would have actually liked that, to see somebody in, in the Secretariat building actually working. So, you know. Do you think so? I mean, in all probability, yeah. given today's India's bureaucracy, we would probably see them taking naps or eating. I don't know how much. Yeah, but that, 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 that's precisely the point. At least we know what's happened. We could shame them into doing some work, you know, throwing yeah. stones yeah. at the glass. Yeah, <laughs> like. And there wouldn't be any buildings remaining if that was the case because right. throwing stones at protests or. Right. <laughs> I think I think I think that's probably a good happy note to end on. What do you think? Right. Right? Okay, so that's it from Masala History Podcast on Latians Delhi for today. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. Uh, for further details, images and information, please visit us at www.masalahistory.com. Thank you for listening.